0: You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience. It's Jennifer Diane Gostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? I was introduced to my next guest when another adoptee and adoptee advocate, Dr. Patrice Martin, who can be heard here on Season 9, Episode 140, encouraged me to check out a podcast called Adoptees in Arms. A shout-out to Patrice. Upon listening to episodes of Adoptees in Arms, formerly called Hidden Gems, I was immediately inspired to reach out, to iris peterson bryant i want you to hear from her and learn about the work she is doing in our community iris quickly took off in the direction of helping other adoptees once she recognized there were those among us in dark places and who cursed the day they were born in this episode, Iris shares a part of her relinquishment, adoption, and birth family reunion story, yet I strongly urge you to check out her podcast for a fuller and richer version of her journey. For today, we discuss the importance of turning pain into purpose, or as she puts it, find purpose on the other side of pain, and how that can pave the way to one's own healing. On her website, IrisP.Bryant.com. she states, After discovering that I was adopted, my identity felt like a huge question mark. Over time, people-pleasing behaviors that began as an innocent quest for affirmation spiraled into self-sabotaging habits that constantly derailed me from God's will for my life. Upon reaching out to Iris, Via Facebook Messenger at the beginning of December 2023, she responded back to me in record time and accepted my invitation to be a guest on this podcast. I knew straight away that she walks the talk of her mission to be in service to other adopted people. Though she doesn't promote her published books, she endeavors to uplift, edify, and empower others through them. There will be links in the show notes for you to get a copy. Allow me to introduce to you a woman with a strong connection to the community of faith. She is passionate about helping women find purpose on the other side or smack dab in the middle of pain. She has served an online community for several years and is dedicated through Adoptees in Arms to celebrate, advocate, and unite the voices of adult adoptees. Iris Peterson Bryan, I want to thank you for accepting my invitation to come on the podcast today.
1: I am honored, Jennifer. Thank you for uh, the invitation and for your virtual hospitality. I'm just grateful to um, occupy this space with you today.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to have a really good time. In fact, I know we will. Patrice Martin Uh introduced us, so to speak, because she said, you got to listen to iris's podcast and it was an episode about kirk franklin Mm -hmm. and so i went over there and i did it and i I love your solo episode and let's give a shout out to you being a podcaster and the title of your podcast is adoptees in arms so i i just appreciate patrice for leading me to you and what really impressed me right away is i sent you a message on facebook you responded so quickly and was so warm towards me. So I want to—I just want to thank you for that.
1: Thank you so much, Jennifer. And I am grateful for Patrice as well. Um, we actually call ourselves twin sisters. And sometimes we are in virtual spaces and we refer to each other as twin sisters and we get a lot of looks. We have very similar origin stories. I connected with her through social media And she has been a dear sister and friend to me. So I'm grateful for her connecting us as well. And I'm excited about a friendship developing with you as well. Very excited.
0: Yes, I am too. And just to have this opportunity to share with my audience, just how much advocacy you have been doing. And I I would say, would you say it like in a short period of time?
1: I really would say <laughs> it has been a short period of time. I feel like I was in this, and actually, my best friend describes it this way: like in a slingshot, and like just being pulled back for years. There were a lot of things that I I wrestled with, I dealt with internally. And she said, as soon as that slingshot was released, you you have just not stopped. It's been less than three years. Well, we're in twenty four now, so I think really starting in 2020, I'm trying to find my voice in the adoptee world, trying to be an advocate. And, and I say trying because I feel like that's how I started. Like, what does an advocate, what does it mean to be an advocate? What does that look like? Going back to Patrice, I sent her a text message one day asking her, like, what is an adoption advocate? And she sh- shared a very long Text message response, and her last sentence was really like, "What you're doing?" <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> absolutely okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't want to use that word, and not be that word. Like, I I don't want to say I'm an advocate, and then you expect these things from an advocate. So right. what is it? I want to make sure it's that my actions and my words align with that. So I, I feel like I stumbled into that. Someone used that to describe me. And that's why I asked her, like, what is an advocate? Like, you do you think I'm, what is, what is this about? <laughs> so, <laughs> because this community is so special and many people in the adoption community have had some type of hurt. I just want to be very careful on how I handle my story, how I share my story, and then how I handle other people who are adopted, so I I didn't want to say that I was something that I wasn't. I, I just wanted to make sure that everything aligned, and I hope you understand what I mean by that.
0: I totally understand, that. and I've asked myself, yeah, that question. Like, am I an advocate? You know, because I don't, I wouldn't take that lightly either.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: that's that's so true. And as adoptees, and whatever work we're doing, whether it's writing a book or hosting a podcast. It's definitely advocacy, I would say, for sure, advocating for adoptees. But, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, that resonates Mm -hmm. with me. And I have listened to several episodes. I love your podcast. I I love the solo episodes. I think you do those so well. The episode that really stands out to me is... When your childhood friend, four, since fourth grade, right, Deborah yes. Cheek, yes, when she is leading the discussion about your adoption story, I thought that was so good. So, we'll shout out to Deborah Cheek as well.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and and while we're talking about Deborah Cheek, she has been a sounding board for me as I've tried to navigate this space, and she would tell me, Iris, people need to hear your story. I would say no, you no. Know, like I, I want to talk about this, right? Because I've I've tried podcasting before, but it wasn't you know anything related to adoption. When I've said yes, I'm going to do this adoptees in arms podcast, and I'm going to talk about my story. She was the first person that came to mind. I was like, well, will you interview me? Because since you think people want to hear my story. <laughs>
0: She was like absolutely, you. right? I'd be honored.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah, well she did a great job and and so I got to learn a little bit more about your journey and one of the things that I have learned and I want I really want to know how you feel about this. I have talked to adoptees that learned at 10 and 12 years old who consider themselves late discovery. And I know typically it's when in adulthood you have learned and not in childhood. So what are your mm-hmm. thoughts about that? Cause I know you learned like preteen.
1: I had a conversation with you over the Christmas break or Thanksgiving break. The first time we talked and you mentioned you always knew you were adopted. There are other people that I have talked to who say, I can't think of a time when I didn't know. Right. Then we think of late discovery adoptees. When I first heard that phrase, the person was in her 40s when she learned. and I And I think there's some that I've heard who were in their 30s. And to me, that seems like late discovery. So mm-hmm. that was my definition of it. But when I think about the number of people that I have come into contact with who've always known, I can understand the labeling of late discovery because you didn't always know. I think there's this shock effect and maybe finding out at 30 or 40 or 50, I think there's a lot more to unravel when you're 30, 40 or 50 um, when you find out versus finding out at 12. But I found out as a a preteen but it took me 20 years to process it. I didn't talk about it. Um, I had a couple of friends who I would share, like, when I get 18, I'm going to go searching and, you know, find out where I came from. I wasn't comfortable talking about it because of all the years of secrecy. It was a truth that was hidden for many years. Like, I didn't know. I don't know how to process the late discovery adoptee uh, in lieu of, you know, interacting with others who find out when they're much older, when I think about there were people who knew from the beginning and then I found out later, <laughs> I guess you could look at it as a late discovery. There's a por- portion of your life where you you don't know that truth. Right. That's, that's a lot of process. That's yeah. a lot of process.
0: Because when I think of when I was 12 and 10, I remember very well. I remember being of that age, a lot of memories during that time. Like you say, I've always known. So to go a decade of life and Mm -hmm. not know, and then all of a sudden know, I would imagine a lot would come up. Do you think they should have told you sooner? Maybe that's a better question.
1: They both say now. They wish they had told me sooner, mm-hmm. um you know there there are a lot of resources that are available now that were not available to them. My dad was born in nineteen thirty eight my mom was born in nineteen forty one I was born in nineteen seventy three There weren't a lot of resources to help them navigate telling me the truth or like providing any kind of therapy those those weren't things that were prevalent in our community and then My parents both grew up in families where there was kinship adoption. So they worked very hard to make sure I felt like a part of the family. They were very intentional of not wanting me to feel that I wasn't wanted and that I wasn't loved. And I believe they believed that that was the gift they were giving me. I don't think it was in their mind to sit down and tell me, my origin story right? and it may have been because of the factors I just listed or because of the reality that I was abandoned as an infant. They had to process that and I think they struggled with processing it. So that was another element. What do we tell her? Like I didn't learn everything at one time. I learned that I was adopted and then I later learned, well, you weren't born in a hospital you were you know you were left outside you were found outside so that was several years later and i don't know how i would have handled that if i learned all of that at once so i think they were struggling with all the truth that they knew and when to tell me and what to tell me right. cuz i don't think they had a i don't think they had a blueprint i know they did right but they they both said the night that we had the initial conversation We wanted to tell you we didn't know when. And as I grew up, I think the way they observed me processing it and the fact that they didn't lose me, I think that was a fear as well, that they wished that they had had the conversation with me earlier. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think you you just said exactly what it is, lack of resources, because I was born... 1964. And certainly there weren't the kind of resources that are available now for adoptive parents, for adoptees, anybody in the constellation, you know, that things have really improved in that area. So yeah, I often think the social worker that handled my case made it clear to my parents how important it was to do two things. And that was to introduce a new name slowly because I had been Mm. answering to the name given to me at birth for two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the second thing, probably the most important thing, is to talk about her being an adopted child, age Mm -hmm. appropriate. And that is why I don't ever remember not knowing. I do know, I've heard an adoptee who is a late discovery, say if she was not allowed to talk about relinquishment and adoption, she doesn't know how well, that would have worked because a lot of us that have always known, we still couldn't really talk about it. Mm. It wasn't like sit at the dinner table and have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's tricky. And I, I think it does go back to a lack of resources. And so that's mm-hmm. one thing that I picked up on right away. Do you recognize that adoptees needed resources and needed to have a place or space to go, to start to lean into healing. I think you you heard an adoptee, or or read somewhere that an adoptee cursed the day they were adopted, mm-hmm. and it it did something to you. You want to talk a little bit about that? Which
1: to me Absolutely. goes straight
0: into the work you're doing,
1: Jennifer. That was the moment that I knew. I had to do something, like I, ha- I had to use my voice. And this was in, it was in April of 2020. I remember vividly, I was sitting on the couch. I don't know the moment prior to this moment. Like, why was I on Twitter? I was on Twitter searching for adoption. Like I was just doing adoption hashtags. And I don't know what happened the moment before to make me do that. Cause I had never, like I had never searched for an adoption hashtag. I started looking at the different things that were popping up and I saw this one post and the the person actually tweeted that they cursed the day they were born. They weren't adoptee and they cursed the day they were born. I felt it in my gut. And I remember just, I got balled up on the couch and just wept because the first thing that came to my mind was the heaviness of it. And I thought about all the times in my life that I couldn't process how I feel. The reason that I I feel strong and I'm able to use my voice is, is because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe that that's what has kept me. I know that's what's kept me grounded. When I read that, I felt like this person doesn't have, there's no source. There's nothing there to make them see hope. There's no hope in this story. And it it hurt. I mean, it hurt me. That was the moment that I said, I'm going to have to, I've got to do something. And for me, doing something was to to talk about being adopted. I'm a a member of a a writer's group called Entrusted Women. It's a group for uh, Christian communicators, Christian women communicators of color. And the very next week, we had an accountability meeting on Zoom and we were just talking and I said in that group, I feel like I have to pivot. Like I'm gonna start talking about adoption. And there were three ladies in that group who knew my story. They were sending me private messages in the chat. Like, I'm so proud of you. Finally <laughs> we've seen the struggle and we're so excited. And that that group has held me up as I've walked this journey. But it was that tweet that Made me recognize that I can't be silent. I can't be silent. Right. That's really
0: the bottom line. Mm. Wow. That is just extraordinary. And your website is so beautiful, by the way. So impressive. I like when you say find purpose on the other side of pain. And and I've Mm -hmm. phrased it sometimes, finding purpose from the pain so i Mm -hmm. i so agree with that and i think that all of us whatever our journey has been the painful parts of it can be turned into purpose Mm -hmm. yeah just you jumping right in there like you have is just a beautiful thing are you a life coach i know you provide coaching
1: I, i i just got my certification in december for um Coaching, and that will be my area—the um, adoption—and I haven't, I haven't spoken that out <laughs> uh, till now. So I, <laughs> until now, so I started working on that certification. Yeah, last year, and finished up the training in December, and uh, was commissioned in the first week of December in Charleston, South Carolina. With that, I wore a T-shirt that said "Adoptees in Arms." the day of our retreat so we're probably 100 people who were being certified as coaches and we did headshots on our first the first day of the retreat was headshots they told us to wear you know wear the color of your brand or just wear something that shows your personality and as I was getting dressed that morning I thought wait a minute what if I wear a t-shirt like what if I wear it Mm -hmm. and I had the t-shirt for two years and I have not been wearing it but I thought I packed it up just to wear as I lounged around in Charleston I didn't even plan to wear it outside of the hotel room but I wore it for the photos as soon as I got there a lady walked over to me and she's like look what's what's the deal with your shirt and I told her and she said you know what I have a friend who's adopted and I don't get her like I love her she said, but I don't get her sometimes. Can I like, give her your contact information? Because I think you can, you get her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, absolutely. Then another lady, as we were taking our headshots, she said, what's the deal with your shirt? Like, what does that mean? And I started telling her about the Adoptees in Arms community and that I was an adult adoptee. And she said, oh my goodness. So she starts weeping because she is in the process of adopting a child. So she shared all of that with me. Then at the end, this was the end of the day, um, we were coaching. No, actually it was the next day when we did our coaching assessment. Certified coach that was assessing me, I gave me a scenario to coach through. And when I finished the coaching, she gave me you know, feedback and then she said, what's, your area, your specialty. And I said, adult adoptees. And she said, tell me more. So I started talking to her. And then I see she's crying. I'm like, what in the world? Mm. And she said her her husband's sister was adopted from Korea in the 60s. And she just talked about her abrasiveness with the family. And they were Christian missionaries. And she came over as a five-year-old didn't have the foundation of the English language. And then she arrives and now her, the family that's adopting her is expecting a baby. And I started thinking about like what that did to her. Like she's here. And I start talking to the assessor about my Like I'm speaking to her through the lens of her sister-in-law and she's crying. She's like, I never thought about it. I've never thought about I never consider that. So she says, I'm going to have grace with her now. And this lady's in her 60s or, uh, yeah, late 60s. She hasn't been understood by this family her, her entire life. <laughs> I'm like, she's not abrasive because she's mean. Like, she, she went through a lot. Right. And she's like, wow, never thought about it. So that's saying that I'm an adoptee coach, or uh, that's what that has. The doors it has already opened, and this is my first time speaking it outside of that safe community. I mm-hmm. haven't even launched with uh, adoptees in arms yet. Oh I wow! I might need to tell
0: them. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm so happy. I'm just so happy Thank that you, you are doing that, and and you clearly identified a need. I mean, that just what you shared now. There's such a need, and. Yeah, when people step up and I say get in the arena, we just have to mm. be so proud of that because it's not easy. Wow. It's not. Yeah. It's not. So I know you've published uh, at least three books, right? Yes. And <laughs> you're going to read something today.
1: This will probably end up in a book, but right now it's a, a devotional on you version. And it is a four-day devotional for adult adoptees. I'm going to read day one, which is God has called me by name. The scripture reference is Isaiah 43 and 1. And it says, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. You are a cabbage patch kid. They are not your real parents. At least I know who my real parents are. When I was growing up, these phrases became a popular anthem heralded around me. During my earliest years of school, I didn't know I was adopted, so I thought my playmates were just being mean. Because of their words, I quickly learned the easiest way to retaliate Was with the popular phrase sticks and stones may break my bones but your words will never hurt me that was my automatic response and i could proclaim it with much conviction but internally truth was not embedded in the words i spoke the words i heard on the playground on the school bus at family gatherings and even at church not only hurt me but also left me emotionally and mentally wounded long after the chants ended. There is power in the names we're called. Even when we don't answer to or readily identify with the names, they have the potential to shape our thinking and our future. As much as I wanted to believe the words in the famous Sticks and Stones chant, my heart knew the truth. Those words did indeed hurt. However, I have been able to find healing and a soothing balm in the word of God. In Isaiah 43, we see a beautiful portrait of our Heavenly Father. During times of uncertainty and despite unanswered questions, he claims us as his own. He redeems us and he calls us by name. That declaration will speak for eternity. I am known and loved by God and will forever cherish the name he calls me.
0: Oh, that was powerful. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation to read uh, today. And Isaiah is one of my favorite books.
1: Wow. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to read. Thank you.
0: So I know, and the listeners might not know, that you are in reunion with your biological Mm -hmm. family. So I would like you to share, you know, a part of what that has been like, is like. I'm pretty sure it's like a work in progress, like most of us.
1: Yes, (laughs) it is a work in progress. I think the thing that I love to talk about with being in reunion with my biological family is the things that I grew up feeling were quirks about me are pretty normal. (laughs) I like to leave with that because... Everything about Reunion isn't perfect, and and I think that I had an image or the thoughts that the hole in my soul or the missing pieces, once I went through Reunion, everything would be perfect, everything would be okay. But it only intensified the things that I was feeling. So I want to lead with the funny part because it's, it's one of my earliest moments of joy with my biological family. So I met them in stages. I, my birth mother had three sons, and then I was born, and she kept the the uh, three boys. I was given up for adoption, so I met them in reversed order. I met her in February of '08. So the, I've been in reunion since 2008. I met her in February, and then I met brother number three in August. And brother number two, um, one weekend in November. And then brother number one, the following weekend, I met my grandmother like in February of 09. And then aunts and uncles were sprinkled in, cousins, nieces, and nephews. But in May of 2009, there was a Mother's Day gathering. And I don't know if the gathering was really for my grandmother or if the gathering was for my biological mother to kind of ease her into her sibling scene, that they accepted me and they didn't change their view of her, because that's always been important to her. When people find out that I existed, her first question was, does that change how you feel about me, whether it was to her sons her brothers and sisters, her nieces and nephews, her grandchildren. Does this change the way you feel about me? So I believe that gathering was to help her see that they didn't view her differently. It's a little complicated, but I'll make a long story short. At the gathering, I had an uncle that was telling jokes and they were so corny. And I was so tickled because I would tell jokes that were just the absolute corniest thing you ever heard. And I would be so tickled and nobody thought it was funny. And so he sat down beside me and he started telling these jokes. And I'm like hitting my leg and like, that's hilarious. And they were quirky and corny. And I felt so normal. I'm like, he he gets me.
0: (laughs) He gets me. I know what (laughs) you're talking about. about Yeah.
1: Tell him a joke and nobody's laughing. (laughs) Get it and his joke and I hope I don't mess it up he said Iris you know what's what do a banana and an elephant have in common I was like I don't know he said they're both yellow except the banana I mean except the elephant <laughs> 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 See? <laughs> <laughs> like yes I love you I love you <laughs> yeah
0: I know so what you that, mean yeah yeah
1: sometimes as adoptees we look for a things that we can identify with like i do that like my brother or resemblance you may have siblings that have grown up together and you do things the same way i'm a a domestic adoptee so my parents are african-american i'm african-american sometimes you know people say oh you look just like her you look just like your mama and (laughs) like okay but we don't often talk about when we're looking for other things to identify, like we, we we get hung up on the physical, Mm -hmm. but like we're trying to figure out why am I the only person who likes this food? Or why am am I the only person who thinks this joke is hilarious? Or why am I the only person who likes to watch this TV show? And then when you meet people who, bring a sense of normalcy to what you thought were quirks. For me, that was affirming. That was a beautiful, beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, same here. Because I remember growing up being kind of edgy, you know. And the family I was in, they weren't like that. And I'm wondering, where did I get that from? And Mm -hmm. immediately in reunion with my maternal side, I said, I know exactly where I got that from. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it was like such a relief, you know, it was like, yeah, that's just in my DNA. And I'm cool with that. It's just nice to know.
1: Yeah. Yes, indeed.
0: I think you've covered the meaningfulness of searching and being in reunion. And it is not a walk in the park, as we all know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, relationships require work. Some Mm -hmm. people are doing more work than others. (laughs) and mm-hmm. it, yeah it's it's um it's something that i like, mm-hmm. I just say a work in progress, and things that maybe haven't happened quite yet, that's the key word mm-hmm. yeah, it just hasn't happened yet, but as a mm-hmm. black same race domestic adoptee, is there anything that is sometimes misunderstood by others in your opinion
1: misunderstood I think that when you compare maybe international adoptees and domestic adoptees who may have been adopted by a a family of a different race. You hear them talking about searching for, like, who do I look like? Uh, My eyes look like this, but nobody else in this house has these features. And I know that's pronounced. That is important. And I think that sometimes because we are domestic, black adoptees that were adopted you know we were adopted by the same race people may not think about that we're still searching for something that that reminds us of ourselves for me one thing and I don't ever like I don't I don't ever talk about this but my mother uh, and my sister have this thick have thick long hair and my hair was thick but it wasn't long and my cousins had this thick hair. It was long hair, I was like, "Why you know why, don't, why don't I have long hair mm-hmm. and i I noticed that, and I wondered about that. My physical features why am I built this way? My feet have always been very large, and my mother my mother and my sister wore like they could wear the same size shoes at one point. they had small feet. I did not. My my cousins and my friends they there were times in their lives where they could go and get shoes from their mom's closet. I've never been able to do that. That's something I'm like you don't re- you don't really think about that because it's not happening with you. So those were those were things that were very pronounced to me. Like who who am I shaped like? Who is you know my hair textured like? I don't see that in my home.
0: Right. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I can totally relate to that. I looked like my first cousins. I really Mm -hmm. fit in because people would comment on that all the time. I knew that was your first cousin because you all look alike.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was the same for me. It was the first cousin. Her name is Keisha. And so many people would see me and call me Keisha. And at this time, I didn't know who my biological family was. And I used to think if one more person calls me Keisha... (laughs) <laughs> because I heard it so much mm-hmm. and when I met her, I was like, oh, I guess like, I think we really resemble I was like, that's why people were calling me Keisha, because we look alike
0: right. yeah, yeah. I get it,
1: I get it. <laughs> Yeah Well, I guess
0: as we prepare to wrap up is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share?
1: I want to share when you were talking about the advocacy and I guess the highlights of the the biological family, a reunion. I think one thing that has been a, a great cost is my choice to use my voice. I've struggled with the silence for a long time. And even after stepping into the space and sharing my story, I was very conscious of where my story Overlap with someone else's story and everybody was not willing to share their story. So I struggled with what do I say? How do I not offend? What happens if I say this and it's taken out of context? Or what if I say it and it's not received? And I've had to deal with all of that. That part of the journey has been painful because it's easy for me to look out and see the people who are impacted by adoption and make a decision. I'm gonna use my voice because I want them to know that not alone, I want them to know that the things that they're feeling, somebody else has felt it too, they're normal. You know, they're not wrong for feeling this way. But I want them to see there's hope on the other side. And as I've looked at that group of people, I've also had to be aware of the people who are looking at me and wondering why have I chosen to use my voice? I have come to the conclusion that, and you and I talked about this, when you spoke about you once use your your skills, because of your background as a police officer, a detective. Mm -hmm. And then you walk walk into a space where you use these same skills and you bring freedom to other people. Right. Um, That's what I had to do. And will I remain quiet and bound and see these people who are struggling and leave them like that? Or will I just trust God to bring healing to everybody? Because he's able to do that. He's able to bring healing to everybody. When I started using my voice, there was this freedom that I did not know was available to me. That's what I had been searching for. It wasn't so much of what answers I would get in the reunion process. It's stepping into who he created me to be. The questions that I had, I say all the time, there's some questions I will never get an answer to. But this freedom that I'm experiencing by just saying yes, sharing my story, Being comfortable in the hard parts of my story, that has made all the difference for me. It's cost a lot. It has cost a lot. I believe that this is what what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Well, I believe it is, too. And a part of your bio states that you're passionate about helping women find purpose on the other side or smack dab in the middle of pain Mm -hmm.
1: beautifully Mm -hmm. stated
0: thank you so much for taking the time out to have this conversation with me
1: thank you Jennifer this has been a wonderful experience for
0: me yeah it's been great for me too what Iris and I didn't talk about during the recording that Bear is sharing with you is she is a recent widow and a mom of two young adults Through her heartbreak, losses, and family responsibilities, she is still committed to the Adoptees-in-Arms community. Her purpose of helping adult-adopted people find hope and peace in God's Word continues to be a deep desire of hers. I appreciate Iris sharing how being in reunion with her family of origin is a work in progress. Many adoptees can identify and attest to that. I believe those of us who find ourselves navigating relationships with our original family are all too familiar with the highs and lows being a part of the process. As adoptees share their narrative, which can't help but include, at times, our loved ones, we hope to respect what part of the story is theirs to tell. It can be tricky to stay true to our lived experience while honoring the privacy others prefer. By keeping the lines of communication open, it's likely that all can remain true to themselves while maintaining boundaries. I've heard Iris say in so many words that having a community of faith can be an empowering and worthwhile tool toward healing. When she recited verses from one of my favorite books of the Bible, I'm reminded of chapter 41, verses 9 and 10 from the book of Isaiah. I'll read from the American Translation. Whom I have taken hold of from the ends of the earth and called from its most distant places, telling you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Don't be afraid, I am with you. Don't look around anxiously, I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you. I will support you with my victorious right hand. Thank you, Iris, for having this conversation with me. From one podcaster to another, I have been happy to quickly connect with you first through another adoptee and then with Adoptees in Arms. The way you stepped up and entered trenches of the adoption community to provide a valuable resource for other adoptees to know their worth truly inspires me. Yes, you are, without question, an advocate for those affected by relinquishment and adoption. There is no telling just how many lives are restored to a sense of wholeness because of the work you have done and continue to do. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it, because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being
1: here.